Welcome to the Pharma Podcast, a conversation with industry experts and business leaders about important and current topics in Canadian pharma, biotech, and medtech. I'm your host, Sam Tarantino. On this episode of the Pharma Podcast, my guest is Nicole Serena, President and Managing Director of PSP Console, a division of Waldron & Associates, and co-founder of PSP Certified, a new certificate program for PSP professionals. Nicole and I will discuss biosimilars and the need for patient support programs to support them. Welcome to the Pharma Podcast, Nicole. Hi, Sam. Great to be here. So we first met some years ago while you were um, you were at Bayer. Um, I think you had a distinguished career at Bayer, if I if I recall correctly. Uh, so tell us about yourself um, and what uh, what led you to to PSP Consult and and co-found uh, PSP Certify. Thanks, Sam. Yes, I was at Bayer for a long time, 25 years. Actually been in the industry, I was counting this morning, almost 30 years. Um, so while I was at Bayer, I did the whole route, sales, marketing, biologics, rare disease, corporate affairs, trade. And then uh, I headed up the PSP group at Bayer. I started it and developed it. And when I was there, I really found that I was always searching for a consultant to help me with PSP. And it was hard to find someone. So in 2018, I left Bayer uh, to become a PSP consultant and actually have been busy ever since. Um, In 2020, uh, we worked on a course for CCPE, the Council of Containing Pharmaceutical Education called Introduction to PSPs for someone who's new to PSPs. And with that, uh, my business partner at the Cadence Learning Company, Tracy Colley and I really found that one area that there was not much training was in patient support programs for the professionals working there. And that's why we developed and launched just recently PSP Certified. And what it does is it helps build knowledge, skills, and confidence in PSPs. So with biosimilars now uh, coming to market, um, the need for PSP, uh, patient support programs. So let's start with defining a biosimilar. What what is a biosimilar and how does it differ from a branded biologic? Sure. A biosimilar is still a biological product and it can be very similar to what we call the reference biologic or the branded product. There's no real clinical difference in safety, purity and potency, but it is still manufactured usually in a slightly different way. So while generic drugs, when we think of pills, they're usually chemically identical to the original branded drug and they're really cost effective. Yet with biosimilars, they're made from usually a cell bank um, and it's a fairly complicated manufacturing process, very similar to the branded biologics. And with that, they still require testing and they don't always contain the exact identical ingredients as the name brand counterparts. As patents for original brand biologic metals expire over time, other manufacturers can produce new versions, which we call biosimilars. And Health Canada authorizes the biosimilars um, using the same rigorous regulatory standards as other biological drugs. So there's no clinical meaningful difference in efficacy and safety between the two, but still there may be some slight differences in the manufacturing process, or or there may be also differences in the ingredients they use for the cell cultures. We hear a lot about biosimilars these days. Um, do they need patient support programs? And, and if so, why? So if you think about what we just talked about with biosimilars, there's still specialty medications 
because they're biologicals, usually they're done by an injection or an infusion. And even though they're at a lower price, they still can be fairly expensive. Um, and they require full patient support programs. And what I mean by that is usually when there's a patient support program, there's a patient access challenge. It could be financial. It could be administration. So if it's an injectable, does a physician or a nurse do it for the patient? Or are they trained on how to do it? And these patient support programs help uh, support services to help patients access the medication and also get it administered. How are um, branded and biosimilar patient support programs the same? And um, how are they different? So they're similar or the same because they may offer similar services. They may offer reimbursement support. So if someone has a private plan or there's a complicated um, authorization, you may have to, physician may have to fill extra forms in or show lab results to get approval. These programs will help the patient and healthcare practitioner through that complicated system. There may need some financial support uh, with a copay if you have a uh, private insurance that has a 30% copay. Imagine if even with a biosimilar, similar to a branded, they can be thousands of dollars a month. So a 30% copay could be $500 or more. So there may be some copay support. And then if the drug is an infused or an injectable, it may need cold chain, which is refrigeration in the delivery of the product. They may be sending it directly to the doctor's office on behalf of the patient or to an infusion clinic so the patient doesn't have that burden or worry about transferring medication that may need uh, special handling uh, to keep it so it stays safe for the injection or the infusion. What about life cycle uh, management of PSPs? Why, why is life cycle management of PSPs important? And this is going back to your other question, where they may be different. So life cycle management, similar to when you're looking at a product, it goes through a life cycle. So you've got your pre-launch, then your launch, and that's where you're just launching out into the market. Then there's a growth phase. Then the product kind of matures, which is usually, you know, around the mature, maybe your patent's expiring. And then that's when the biosimilar entry, and then there's a decline. So what's interesting is while a branded product may be in a mature decline cycle, the biosimilar is in a launch. And this is why it could be different because while one product in PSP is in more of a mature decline phase and they may have different uh, services, the biosimilar may be in a launch and supporting slightly differently because it's in launch. They may be adding services that the branded may not be at that time, More maybe some bridging or some other support services um, that when your product's in more of a decline phase, you're taking away rather than adding. What, um, what type of, of data is important for PSPs when, when patients may be transitioning from programs and, and products? Great question. And data, patient support programs have a wealth of data um, because they're following patients and their patient data. So one thing to note is that patient consent is always... Uh, received when a patient enrolls and then the data is usually is kept within the provider which is arm's length so the pharma company is never seeing specific patient name data uh, which is important just to clarify so what's important with that data so from a branded company 
you know, maybe watching um, dropouts or if you have a forced switch program in a province, you may see a decline. You may see where patients are moving off of your program to another program. And on the other side, with a biosimilar, you may see the enrollments where um, you're getting an increase in enrollments um, in different provinces, depending on, you know, when your coverage it comes in or not. Another area um, that data could be really important, we hear about real-world evidence. Um, it's still out there what the role of PSPs will be for this type of data. But if you think about real-world evidence and your PSP data, to really consider a data strategy along with your program strategy. Because if you think back of when companies plan clinical trials, data is key, and they develop a whole strategy using data scientists to figure out how to collect that data, what they need to connect, collect, how it will be collected, and how the consents are required in order to have that data. And PSPs can be similar if you really want to collect quality data that could be used for real-world evidence. How can PSPs help patients who are on uh, these medications? So patient support programs help patients in that they help them with access challenges, what I said earlier. So they may support patients uh, with where they get the product, giving them information on supporting them of when their next appointment is. As you can imagine, someone with a rare disease, there may not be many clinics across Canada that offer and they may have to travel a long distance what could happen uh, is someone could come into their like a nurse could come into the home to give the treatment rather than that patient traveling hours and sometimes their treatments are three times a week imagine if you had a child and you had to take them from say uh, northern Ontario two hours twice a week or three times a week just to get a short injection it impacts the family, it impacts your income opportunities because you may not be able to work uh, because you have to travel to get your medication. So if they can bring a field nurse into your home, it's just one way they can help support a patient um, accessing their medication. And I also mentioned earlier, it can also help from a financial burden as well. So um, Nicole, any final thoughts? I'd say this is uh, an evolving area within the Canadian health care landscape as well as other areas within global landscape as well and we continue to see new biosimilars enter the market we see provinces uh, having new strategies with bringing biologics and biosimilars uh, for coverage we'll see new ones coming especially in areas of ophthalmology we're seeing a lot in immunology as well um, and similar to generics, you may see multiple biosimilars for one molecule, which is new for this area of biologics. So it can make it confusing for both prescribers and patients. And PSPs can help patients and their prescribers understand what medication they're on, help them with that complicated reimbursement navigation to get coverage and support for administration. And I think it's really important to take the time to plan your patient support programs with these changes in the marketplace. Really look at strategic planning as well as operational planning. If you're using a third-party provider to help with your patient support program, um, include them in your planning. They have a depth of knowledge in this area and they may hear about changes and trends before you do. 
Uh, and I think the other key is to really learn about PSPs and the challenges patients face accessing and administering their medications. Because this is the key of how patient support programs can assist patients and the prescribers in assisting their patients access medications to improve their lives. Nicole, thank you. Thank you for being a guest on the Pharma Podcast and uh, sharing your insight. How can the audience connect with you? Thanks, Sam. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, they can also find me on my website, PSPConsult.ca. And our new program, PSP Certify, just launched, and that is at thecadencelearningcompany.ca. People can also feel free to email, email me at Nicole at PSPConsult.ca. Contact details for Nicole are also available on our website at thepharmapodcast.ca. Thank you for listening. The Pharma Podcast can be found on our website at thepharmapodcast.ca. The Pharma Podcast is also available to listen to for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you to our sound engineer, Errol Francis. Please subscribe and follow me on LinkedIn to stay up to date on future episodes. If you would like to be a guest on this podcast, or if there is a topic we should cover in future episodes, please connect with me via LinkedIn.